We're back at last. Welcome to the Nearbound Podcast. And for the first time actually ever, well, I think we did one, but we'll just call it the first time ever. We got Isaac Morehouse and me, Jared Fuller, in the same studio. Isaac, it's great to be here. I I don't know if I can handle the intensity. It's almost <laughs> awkward being here in the flesh. And uh, we also, Alex is over here sitting to the side because any cool podcast has a guy off screen that you occasionally say stuff to. And I know Alex has no experience in what we call the business um, because he did the countdown and he audibly counted all the way down. You Once you get to, is it three? It's supposed to be silent. It's like five, four. <laughs> That's... That's what they do in the business. Alex. So you can learn. It's awesome, man. It's awesome to be here face to face. And I feel like we're kind of, yeah, we've had three or four episodes this year already, but like now it's real. We're getting back on the horse and this is hopefully everybody will be able to be here in person at least once a month with an episode of, of you and I kind of breaking right. down some stuff in addition to the regular episodes with guests. So yeah, letting uh, people behind the curtain of uh, our convos, which, um, Alex has been, uh, speaking of Alex, uh, prodding both of us to do more of because, you know, your phrase, we like to learn out loud. Um, we just geek out. So uh, for the folks of you that are listening just on the road or whatever, this is actually one that uh, the YouTube might be worthwhile. So come check us out on the Nearbound YouTube channel. Yeah, I was told we're in 6K. Uh, I don't even know what that means, but probably means I should uh, I should have shaved, <laughs> been a little more cleaned up. Well, so... Here's what I was thinking, Jared, for when you and I do an episode like this in person, if we can have like a couple topics and kind of chat about things that are happening out there in the world. So I've got a fun kind of recent right. news item. And I think it's great. It's a great partnerships thing. So shout out to Tom Kobe uh, from uh, it's um, what's it called? I'm, I'm blanking. Ping Pilot. Ping Pilot. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. CEO of Ping Pilot. He posted about this on LinkedIn and it got me diving into it. So partnership out there recently between uh solo stoves which is apparently some kind of like cook stove they're called uh no smoke uh yes. so they recycle recircle the air re recirculate recirculate the air so that way you don't get as much smoke coming out of it. i bought one for my dad for christmas yep so. okay so you already know about the product they did a partnership with snoop dog and i knew about this because a couple of weeks ago i saw some snoop dog tweet that everyone was sharing around and he said it had some date on it, like on, you know, February 1st or whatever, I'm going, I'm giving up smoke. And it was like, you know, Snoop Dogg is known for just smoking weed all the time. And it was, you know, it was kind of this funny thing. And then it drops and it's that he was endorsing this new smokeless stove that they have. So apparently the CEO of Solo got fired over this. Well, how much do you think he paid Snoop? Well, I'm guessing because what, what I saw in the article was that this thing totally blew up on social media. It had all the sort of top of funnel results you want. It went viral. Everybody was talking about it. They added a ton of followers on all their socials and all this stuff, but it didn't budge sales numbers. Now, my first thought, so there's a couple, this is what I want to get from you. And again, without digging into this, we're shooting from the hip here, but I think it's a really interesting lesson about partnerships and especially the kind of like, hey, if you want to do nearbound and surround your buyer with voices they trust, doing those kind of influencer partnerships, maybe what to do, what not to do. There's two possible things that went wrong here. One is, well, there's maybe more than two. The simplest one is maybe maybe they just didn't wait long enough. Maybe the sales numbers aren't going to budge in the first month, but this you got to commit to it longer. It's a longer sales cycle. People aren't going to immediately go buy a stove. That's possible. But my initial reaction was, 
oh, well, that sounds like one of those kind of forced partnerships where you don't really have enough ICP overlap. People who love Snoop Dogg aren't aren't looking to him as an authority for camping camping gear. Right? <laughs> I I just don't think of Snoop Dogg and camping as hand in glove. Totally. And that was my first thought was like, it just smacks of, hey, everybody's doing influencer marketing. Who's a big influencer we could pay money to? And like, even though people like the marketing, it doesn't make sense from a, it's not a good ICP fit. Tom Kobe again, had uh, an interesting take. He was like, no, I actually think there's all these signs that this worked and it could have worked. Like who, who wants to sit out back and barbecue and grill? Like same people that love chilling out, listening to Snoop Dogg. He's like, of course, there's plenty of overlap. There's plenty of signs that this was working when you look at the virality, but it wasn't a genuine partnership. And he had all these funny ideas. Like what if they would have committed and actually changed the product? They just took their existing product and said, now Snoop Dogg likes it. What if they had some unique product that was like a Snoop Dogg branded version of the stove that something about it was different or they sold logs that like one of them was green and it smelled like marijuana. That was Tom's <laughs> idea. Like what if they did something that actually had co-innovation involved? And I think both of those answers can be true, right? You can kind of like, potentially we're looking at an example of partnerships. We got to reach our buyers through people they trust. Let's just go find whoever's really popular and pay them some money. And it's, it doesn't necessarily work. And, and the other part that could also be true is even if you find the overlap, maybe you have to do more than just have them go out there and say, buy this stove. Maybe they have to actually be a part. I mean, think of the first, one of the first great product partnerships in my lifetime, Michael Jordan and Nike. It wasn't just Michael Jordan saying, buy Nike shoes and holding up the same Nike shoes. He wore Nike shoes. He wore them. He custom made his own shoe. It was by right. my shoe. This is the Michael Jordan shoe that right. I helped design, whether he did or didn't, doesn't matter. It wasn't just same shoe they've always sold, but now I'm saying buy it. It was an actual partnership where he's like, we're working it with, they had its own logo, its own style, its own everything. Well, what was the documentary that was so good about Michael? Um, the, oh, one that, the Last Dance. The Last Dance. So if you recall in The Last Dance, he talks about how those first versions of the shoes that he had to wear and they were God awful, <laughs> right? And how they hurt his feet and they were terrible. But what happened with the product over time? It got better, right? You mentioned trust. What about the camping experience or the backyard experience or the family experience do you associate with Snoop Dogg? Like, do you think about your kids and Snoop Dogg in the same breath? No, A, that buyer <laughs> is irrelevant to you, right? And over time, it's not like Snoop Dogg is going to be innovating that product because you just don't associate Snoop Dogg and campfires. Now, he expands. I mean, Snoop Dogg is probably one of the most versatile personalities in our lifetimes, if you think about it, I mean, he's a basketball commentator, yeah. right? He's a fight commentator. He's like, he's like he's, buddies he, with Martha Stewart. Like <laughs> Snoop is, Snoop is, uh, you know, like protect that man at all costs, right? Like he truly expands across generations. Like our parents know who he is. Our kids know who he is. We know who he is. But I think it was a bit of a stretch and the correlation was to the wrong thing. Smoke versus no smoke, whatever. So like, I think the. It's like a play on words. It's the, not the, a fundamental product alignment. Right. It wasn't a fundamental product alignment. And I think, you know. If you, w without going too much into the demographics and the firmographic overlap of like buyers versus not buyers, I think they weren't thinking of it as a partnership. I think they were thinking of it as influencer marketing, right? So like nearbound and surrounding your buyers with those that they trust, like of all the things that Snoop's a trusted voice on, right. tons, right. that's not one of them. No, like I mean, you, you took one of the biggest personalities in history and then you put him on probably one of the only things that he doesn't extend into, which is the outdoors. Yeah. It's, you know, contrast that to beats by Dre. It's like, 
Right. Oh, Dr. Dre is a brilliant prolific producer. Sound engineer. When I right. think audio quality, I think Dre. Immediately I want to buy that. I'm like, that sounds cool, right? But there's there's plenty of examples. I mean, look so I think at, it's both. Look, to at, your look answer. at the George Foreman grill though. What the heck does an old boxer have to do with grilling hamburgers? Lean, mean, <laughs> fat grilling machine. I remember the infomercials. I stayed up, you know, watching QVC with mom till 2 a.m. at night when I was sick as a little kid. Y'all did. Y'all know you did the same thing, right? It was the infomercials on QVC. You're sick at night. You watch George Foreman cook some meat in the kitchen. But I think I think that's a good example too of like, you know, to Tom's point, hey, even if you don't see the immediate product overlap or whatever. At least it had his signature on it. It was branded as the name of the grill was the George Foreman grill. At least it was like this powered is something by, powered by partnerships. I'm doing, I'm building, not just, hey, I like this product. So anyway, I thought that was kind of a fun, um, you know, there's some lessons to pull out there. Now, I haven't dug into it more, but I'm really curious about this ousted CEO. I'm going to go dig a little bit more and see. I bet he paid too much for it. Is you know, At the end of the day, it was too much money. I mean, we could, we could go to one that's like, you know, I, I love making loose connections where things come together that people thought, you know, otherwise not possible. So like um, the favorite one that I've ever done was one that we just did at the summit was Harry Mack and Nearbound. Yeah. Right. And it was like, what the heck does freestyle rap have to do with a partnership summit? Well, it's like, well, everything in partnerships is about collaboration and creating something that you otherwise could not create solo. Now, Harry doesn't sit down and freestyle like some of my favorite freestyles that I've seen is like Juice World, you know, his one hour uh, freestyle, but, you know, rest in peace. That kid was just a genius when it came to lyrics. Absolute genius. Um, you know, he sat down for an hour and did one of the craziest freestyles I've ever seen, but it was just him. The What Harry does is he brings the audience into it and what Harry does, he can't do without the audience. So whenever we pulled him in for the Nearbound freestyle, Harry's words were our words. Yeah. Right. And that's why it worked. And that's why it was so cool is that because the, the sum was actually more um, than the components, right? Like it all came together. So I think if you're going to be, I, I think we have the opportunity right now. I mean, you see it everywhere for collaborations to be the most impactful thing. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, Ed Sheeran, right? Like, you know, like there's so many good examples of this where like Ed Sheeran's one of the most popular artists in the world. Why? Not because he just writes songs is he writes songs with other world-class artists. Yeah. And that's his primary vehicle for go-to market. Ed Sheeran compilations, volume, what, seven, eight, nine. That's why he's so popular. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. There can be, uh, okay. I'm, I'm making this up here. I'm, I'm thinking out loud. So learning out loud, uh, there's obvious partnerships where people are totally already operating in parallel. They're already playing in the same, you know, arenas and it makes so much sense for them to partner together. Those are amazing. That's probably right. the bulk of what good partnerships should look like. There are occasionally completely non-obvious partnerships that that's much higher risk, but it can work. And when it does, it's like incredible. I, I'm thinking of um, one of my favorite books. It's a very obscure book. It's a nonfiction book by a famous fiction author by Arthur Kessler. It's called The Act of Creation. And it's like out of print. You got you to buy it on eBay and it's like it's really expensive and all beat up. I don't know why. It's just this tiny little book, but he talks about the, the eureka moment, whether that's in innovation, even in comedy, the moment of a joke becoming funny is when two separate matrices of thought, he calls them, intersect. And all right. of a sudden you're like, this thing and this thing, which have nothing to do with each other, they meet, and when you see the way that they connect, there's this like explosion, this insight, this innovation, and like that is possible. You can take two things that seem to have nothing to do right. with each other and give people that moment where you're like, "Whoa, that's a perfect connection." But 
you got to you got to give them that you got to find a way that they actually can intersect and i'm not sure that cook stoves and snoop dog do that for yeah me. there was there, there there's not that salt and sweet <laughs> yes right yes, exactly. there's not that uh combination that's like oh i wouldn't have thought that is true it's like they're a little too similar to be radically different and a little like snoop dog and martha stewart that one is hilarious whenever they did they did some collab together that's like a perfect because they're so opposite that you get this delightful moment of like, ah, so it's, it's like either you got to be in the same lanes or you got to have something so different that it gives you a, a delight. And you got to do it right. I mean, I'll give an example. I was sending Alex um, this album that I was obsessed with. So I used to be in a metal band uh, <laughs> called called Prophecy for the Damned. Um, and uh, uh, there's this album. I was in a folk band called Second Floor Jungle. So, <laughs> um, so this, this, this band um, is called Beartooth. And um, the latest album, it's really cool because they, I think they had a little bit more probably emo side to them uh, early on. So I wasn't a big fan early on, but their latest album called The Surface is so good because the message is so positive. It's like metal, but it's like, I feel energized. Like I want to go on a run. So it's been like my running music and there's a song in there um, and it's called A Better Me. And it's a collab with Hardy, one of the biggest um, country music artists. Mm. And I would have never, I'd been like, that's sacrilegious. You do not put country and metal together. And it is a dang good song. So like, you you know, those collaborations, those intersects, whatever you call that point, um, to me, you know, like if you go to sales and negotiations, Chris Voss in Never Split the Difference, he talks about the black swan moment. Yeah. He's talking about that same principle. And I think that's the thing that I love the most about our conversations, Isaac, is how like, we just gave like six examples rapid fire of this intersect that people should be looking for when two things come together to create something that's better than what otherwise would have existed. Yes. And like, that's the nearbound mindset and the way that y'all should be thinking about the world and, and the lens by which you view things. Because guess what? A, people love it, but B, it's damn fun. It's so fun. It's so fun. And that's a great heuristic sometimes when you're, when you've run through all your checklists and your ROI calculators and your matrix of effort to impact and you're trying to make a decision about a particular campaign or initiative or partnership, if if that fails to give you a very clear answer, I always come back to what like what does it feel like? Bingo. Does it add energy to you when you think about it? Are you like, oh, that'd be dope if we did that? Right. Then just chase it. If you're like, ah, it'd be cool, but I can't like if it works in your head, but you don't get that feeling, it's not Sometimes you just got to go back to that intuition. There's a lot, there's a lot there that you can't tease out and it's worth like, and if it gets you excited, you're just going to execute it better. You are. Right. So Absolutely. Find, so find partnerships that excite you. Speaking of. Speaking exciting, of. Okay. There's, so there's that, that, that was, that was a, that was a fun, uh, that was a fun intro, but uh, we, we got something big to talk about now, right? Huge. Speaking of things that are exciting, uh, the Nearbound book. Woo. When this episode goes live, we should be, fingers crossed, two days after this episode drops should be the live launch of the book where it goes live on Amazon. We're doing a live launch party from Paris. And you're bound the book live from Paris, baby. Yeah. We're trying to make it, we're trying to make it really like fashionable. And you know, yeah. um, so I told, I told my design team to like, can you do some promo that like put some, put some French stuff on there. <laughs> so they threw the Eiffel tower on there and I was like, can we do some, uh, some clip art of some baguettes and like some beret hats? <laughs> and they, they threatened to quit. So, um, so Jared, this book. Okay, so the date though. So like, let's make sure that we we anchor that. February 29th, noon Eastern time. And it's going to be live where? I hope we don't have to go back and edit this if that changes. <laughs> it's going to be live on Airmeet. Uh, so we'll have, we've got a landing page. Um, if you go to- Nearbound.com. Nearbound.com. It'll, it'll be pinned it'll be, to the front. front and center. Right. Yep, just go to nearbound.com. And then and, Amazon. Yep. It'll be live on Amazon okay, that great. day. It will go live and we'll have just a one hour event, really just to have everybody 
be there and and Jared and I will chat a little bit, get into the book. I'm not sure what else we might have planned. Um, a few surprises here. Just there. to kind of interrupt your workday for a bit, grab a, grab a sack lunch, join us and be there to launch the book live. And then the, the, big, the biggest book in partnerships history. Well, and we're going to get into what's in that book and the process of making it. But but really, uh, the goal is like, hey, let's get everybody going and going and picking up a copy of this book while we're all there together, while we're talking about it, while we've got that moment. And let's get this thing in every freaking C-suite, in every boardroom. That's And that's really what's beautiful about an actual book. And it's, it's a ton of work. And I'm not the one who did most of the work you did. But sitting down and taking these ideas into actual book form, it gives you something that is not so department specific. Like if you put out a guide to partnerships, you're not going to give that to your CEO necessarily, right? That's more specific to your role. But this is about the market in general. This is about business in general. This is about market. B2B. Right. This is a book about a, a trend that's happening. It's, it's nearbound in the rise of the who economy. So uh, Jared, I think maybe a good place to start is what was the hardest part? about trying to write this book, about putting this together. There's a, there's a big, there's a lot in there. Um, I think by far the hardest part was defining Nearbound for the era and the fundamental shift in human behavior that we're all experiencing right now today. Um, because for me, defining, so like, what are you going to get in the book? You're going to get cha a chapter on Nearbound sales, Nearbound marketing, Nearbound success, Nearbound ops, right? Nearbound mindset and way to, way to think as a leader in this era but what the heck is Nearbound? There's so many things rapidly changing in our world today and really trying to put a definition on the Nearbound shift in the world that was, I felt, helped entrepreneurs, board members, investors really rethink the fundamentals of a business. So things like network effects and trying to unpack a little bit of James Courier. And you know, I was looking at shifts in the market that were far bigger than you know, what's happening in the B2B SaaS sales and marketing alignment meeting and the unit economics, MQL, SQL, like, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. like I, I was like, no, what's happening in the world, yeah. right? So like I looked at Elon Musk and, you know, let's say Tesla and their partnerships with like Hilton to distribute superchargers, 20,000 plus superchargers throughout the North America alone, right? Like, um, and then all of a sudden you have Ford signing on to interoperate with the, yeah. the North American charging Some standards. Of the biggest companies in the world are, like partnering with their own competitors. That's, that's weird. That's interesting. That's different, right? Something's happening here. There's some kind of shift that that's what, what I think is so interesting to watch. I wanted to make it undeniably true at a macro level that, you know, D DC told me at drift, who's the best entrepreneur that I know, like if he does another one, it's a trillion dollar company. Hmm. Um, he really, he really is that brilliant. And he said, don't start a business unless you are truly tapped into one of three undeniable shifts in the world. Hmm. And I wanted to set out and prove that Nearbound is one of the three undeniable shifts in the world that we're all experiencing all across the world right now. And I'm proud. And I, I will go toe to toe with anyone saying that that is fundamentally true. And that was the hardest part was the beginning. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, one of the most brilliant minds in, in business that I know, Mike Maples, um, always hammered that in too. Like, you have to start with the shift. What's the fundamental shift? And not just what problem does this thing solve or this, you know, whatever story you're trying to tell, but like what happened to suddenly make this massively relevant when it wasn't before? Was it a technological change? Was it a cultural change? Was there a regulatory change? And I think that's, um, that that's where, so this is what's interesting watching you put this book together because 
when you came in and were like, Isaac, we got to build this, this partner hacker thing together, uh, two years, over two years ago now, um, you were trying to get me excited about it, which wasn't easy at first. Cause I wasn't following B2B stuff, but I could tell as you, as you talked through, like you saw something as Mike Maples would say, you were a, a seer, you were living in the future. You saw something about what was happening and, and several others that, you know, we've talked to and gotten close to since then. Jay McBain is one of them who's been calling this era for, for several years before, but you saw these big trends, you saw the shift and you saw what the implications of that were in the B2B world. And you saw more specifically what that implied for sales, marketing and partnerships, especially and it was like, you knew it all in your gut because you just kind of had that instinct. You were in it enough and you were really good at, and one of the hardest things is translating something that you feel instinctively into explaining it to other people. Because those are two different kinds of, of knowing, right? Right. Like, like your dad's an amazing poker player. I don't know if your dad would be amazing at writing a book about how to be an amazing poker player. No. Maybe he would, but that's not often the case, right? There's things he, that you just do. Right. There's like instinct and like, you can learn it from being around him and watching him and having him give you little pointers as he's going, but that's different than trying to condense that. So how, like, how did you go about that task of saying, okay, I have all these instincts and I have all these things that are proving these instincts out and, and I'm giving little blurbs here and there, but how do I like tell the whole story and wrap it up and literally put bookends on it? We got into this a little bit in episode uh, 100, I think, of um, the podcast where it was like, okay, Jared, tell, tell your story. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, I think it was a really long podcast if you've episode. never listen to that, you have to go listen to it. It's, uh, I think it's a couple hours, actually. And it's it's like, it's it's an abbreviated one, too, at that. But um, there's a couple things that came together. So without getting into the story, I mean, I've, I've been obsessed with not failing the next thing that I did because I, I've gone through failures. I've had to rebuild my life multiple times and I'm no stranger to that even today, right? Like, um, you know, things don't get easier, you get stronger. And what I was going through at the time is I, I, I started Partner Up, not to start a company, right, the podcast. I started it to learn, right? Like I went to Drift because I could do anything that I wanted. I was an entrepreneur. I did the run at PandaDoc. And I started the podcast to learn. And it was just my cheat code to go talk to people that had done the thing that I was trying to do, who'd been to the places I want to go, right? And one of the things that I learned under, you know, DC's tutelage at Drift um, is I started beat- Isn't it tutelage? Tutelage, tutelage, I don't know. Um, we're gonna we're gonna ask the audience. We'll ask the audience on that feedback. one. Um, was- I'm such a I, I started to I started to get into like first principles thinking much, much more, mm -hmm. right? And one of my favorite people that I became obsessed with during that time was Naval Ravikant. And he has this phrase, play long-term games with long-term people. And I knew I wanted to start something, but I'm like, I don't have a partner. I, and I'm not going to do it alone. I'm not going to do it alone. And so how did I write this book? And how did I unpack that, that feeling? I'm sure Alex probably remembers. I'm sure you probably remember the late night emails and Slack messages where I was just brain dumping. You know, I was just like, hey, here's this thing. And then you're like, let's flip this into a newsletter, right? Like publish this as a LinkedIn post. It's actually your phrase of learning out loud. I have spoken with, and I have written more content than I ever thought possible because of you. So like, how did I do it? Well, you were a forcing function as a partner because like, I'm a talker, right? I could, I can show up and I can speak at anything and be like, you have to write it and you have to get it out there and you have to post about it. And that feedback loop for another first principle, right? We reduced the cycles between feedback loops to where we did what a lot of other B2B companies 
and media companies did much faster by reducing the cycles between feedback loops. I had a thesis, a fundamental shift in the world, almost an a priori, you know, kind of yep. thought. And then you you take that to market by honing it every single day. So um, how did I go about it is like, I found a partner who was much better at content than me, but I had a subject matter and a hypothesis. Um, so, I mean, it's a story of partnerships from day one. There's no way I could have done that absent my business partner, you. I asked that question entirely so that you would start talking about me. Yeah, right. I no. did the, uh, I did that, that was that was your feel good moment for the day. But no, that's honest to God. Like, <laughs> play long term games with long term people. You are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Like these things are true. Yeah. And um, I like to say the same, like the same ten things a thousand times versus a thousand things ten times. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting because you kind of have like being good at the art of something and then being good at the artifact, like turning that into an artifact, right, something tangible. Right, right. And and when you can do both of those, because the art is something that's living and changing all the time and it's it's living in market. The artifact at least puts some kind of like permanence to it that gives it some staying power, some shelf life and trying to bring both those together. It's, it's funny. Um, I've talked a lot over the years with people who are putting together pitch decks for investors mm -hmm. and spending so much time trying to like figure out what the right narrative is and all this stuff. And I always say, look, yeah, start with something, but the best narrative is going to come after you've pitched like 20 investors. Yeah. Like go start pitching. Right. So start with the ones that you Feedback don't want. Right. Exactly. And you've got to dial it in. And so that process of just continuing to have these conversations and then what you find is organically the phrases that you just keep coming to, they keep coming out again. You're like, oh, those are the keepers and everything else kind of falls away and you kind of like get all these keepers. So what are the keepers? What's in this book? If people are going to pick this up, what are they going to encounter? Like walk me through just a little bit of the content. And is this all sort of high level theoretical observations? Is this very tactical? Do you bridge the gap? Give me the, give me the lowdown. It's, it's, it's both. Right. And you're not going to get a piece of content from me or from us on the, on the market. Like here, here's how we start is that, um, my rant and thing that I've hated for years and Isaac, you relate to this. I mean, you had a company, Alex is wearing the shirt called Praxis, which, you know, Praxis was taken from the word praxeology, which was by an Austrian economist, Ludwig von Mises. Right. And it's this, um, societal way of looking at uh, human incentives and economics where it's a little bit of sociology, a little bit of economics where, you know, human action exists, right? Humans act fundamental principle number one. Um, and then I took that to the market and I actually unpacked how centralized planning um, without getting into any political opinion, just an economic observation um, and things like Frederick Hayek, you know, the fatal conceit, Right. The curious task of economics is to demonstrate to us how little we know about what we imagine we can design. Well, there's nothing more than I hate in SAS <laughs> than sitting in these meetings and spreadsheeting the future into existence. This is no different than some politician, the rich men north of Richmond, right, uh, designing the world that they think they can create. You know, it's no. You can't, what, what you won't Let's say move, moving people around like pawns on a chessboard, imagining they have no motive power of their own. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And guess what we do in these sales and marketing alignment meetings? <laughs> we do exactly that. So that's kind of where I start, you know, like, you know, go to market. Well, no, that shouldn't be the last phrase market. What is the market? What is your job? If you want to be a leader, an entrepreneur, a business builder is you have to understand what a market is. So I actually start nearbound the book really at a fundamental level of um, trying to explain how I view the world through a market lens. 
and how to live in that market and to be ahead of the market and pull things towards the vision of the future where there is a trend or in a trajectory and being a change agent. And then what are the things and the power, um, the powers that we kind of have at our disposal in this nearbound era that we need to hone in on. So things like network effects, mm-hmm. right? So th- that's kind of the starting point where it's like, I'm not going to build a, how- a, founda- a house on a foundation of sand, yeah. right? So like market-based dynamics, network effects, what are these things? How should we be thinking about them as first principles before we dive into the GTM part of the book, yep. which is, you know, sales, marketing, success. I'd say those three chapters are, uh, they're actually sections, right? It's yeah. not just, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. each one's yeah. not a chapter, they're a section, right? So like the nearbound GTM section of the book is, um, it's the best work I've ever done. Um, and I'm really, really excited to get it out there. Yeah, uh, this book really is, I'll use a phrase that my team makes fun of me for because they'd never heard it because I'm old. Uh, but it's a common phrase, soup to nuts. <laughs> right. Really, truly takes you soup to nuts. And that, that's what I love about it because I'm such a, like I want to know the full causal chain or to use an economics analogy, the full structure of production. Like right. how how do we end up with that end result, that that usable good? And you really do start laying out like, this is how markets work, how businesses work, customers work, and then getting down into sort of what's happening in the world with information overload, the infocalypse, why nearbound is so necessary. And then by the time you get to the end, you're literally, when you're walking through specifically, okay, you're on a sales team. Here's the exact plays you can run with partners and here's how to run them. But that stuff all has context because you've sort of proved here's what's true all the time. Here's sort of current trends. Here's how those universal principles apply to those current trends. And they tell us these are the types of strategies we should do. How do you run these strategies with these tactics? And it gets you all the way there, like fully lands the plane. Like you start way up at 30,000 feet and come all the way down, which I love because usually you get one or the other. It's hard to do both. You either get a sort of theoretical work that's like a big big picture look at the market, or you get a very tactical, here's a guide to, to running a specific thing and kind of like, going through from top to bottom. And if you look, if you're not the type that wants all that other stuff, go skip to the parts that are relevant to you, but yeah, I go but right I, into near bound sales. Right. I love that. It's all there. It's all there. Like really it's like everything we've been talking about for the last couple of years and not just us. It's, it's primarily not us. It's primarily all the really smart people out there in the market that we've been learning from and, and featuring that have been talking about for the last several years, kind of like, let's put this into one sort of structured narrative. So um, I mean, some of the validation and things that I I can actually even say today is like, um, I'm, I'm shocked. Uh, humbled is a strange word. Cause I don't know. I don't know. Humility is a, a, a difficult one for me to re- wrestle with, but I'm like, I remember reading the sales acceleration formula by Mark Robert, right. When I was at PandaDoc and there were some things that stuck with me as a sales leader that I've taken over years and years. I mean, we're going on what, eight years, nine years since that book came out, since I read it. Um, and to have Mark Robert, right, the CRO that put HubSpot on the map, you know, stage two capital, Harvard professor, he was like, yeah, here's an endorsement for the book. I was like, that's crazy. That's insane. Um, and it's not because of some just macro shift alone. It's because, you know, the conversations that I've had with Mark where we got into like, here's what I'm talking about when I say nearbound sales plays, right? This intel, this influence, this intro. Um, and then here's examples of those. He's like, these are no brainers. This makes perfect sense. You know, so we, we get into, um, you know, methodologies, we get into frameworks, we get into actual plays that you can take to your team. Now, um, we give examples in the market, 
right, of some best-in-class B2C companies, some best-in-class B2B companies. And then we take them into campaigns and tactics and, you know, uh, things that you can do right out the gate. And then all the way into, um, you know, kind of the the wrapping chapters where we kind of bring ops and partnerships together into this, what I've called an overlay motion that really is like, hey, how do you overlay Nearbound to the entire business? Mm. Um, so that, that's, that's one of the, I think most tactical where like that chapter is just like step-by-step every year, every quarter, every month, every week, every day, here's exactly what you do to bring a nearbound future, um, into your business. And then ending with, you know, um, a little bit of a clarion call. So, you you know, uh, that rhythm of the business component, it's one of my favorite parts because something funny happened over the last couple of years, especially the last year, as we have been relentlessly, evangelizing nearbound and trying to make famous those who are out there doing nearbound. And we've been, it's funny. It's like the people who are most, the the main orchestrators of a nearbound strategy at their company are partnerships people. But it's almost like we have not, we've kind of neglected in some ways. Like we talked a lot about how to do nearbound marketing, how to do nearbound sales, how to do nearbound success, kind of assuming yeah, partnerships people are going to be the ones running this and just assuming they know how to, they know how to run it, but we're kind of speaking to those other departments. And we, I got, at least I had this realization, you know, we actually haven't talked enough directly to partnerships people about how, okay, we've told the sales team, what, what do the reps do to run nearbound sales? What does the partnerships person do to make sure that that's happening in a way that is seen as helpful by that marketing team? Like, how do they really work with them? And that's why I love this. The one of the final chapters kind of on the rhythm of the business, the rhythm of Nearbound is how do you align to those quarterly meetings, the the QBRs that the other departments are having, or the kickoff meetings annually or the monthly or the weekly pipeline meetings, and just kind of really telling partner people, look, if you get buy-in, if everybody else starts to understand and believe that they need Nearbound, you're going to have a lot to do and you're going to have to work with a lot of departments. How are you going to do that? And it's right. kind of like getting real. I, I love that because it's it's weirdly, I just kind of weirdly was like, that's something that's sort of neglected, oddly enough, even though we're talking almost mostly to partnership people. If you're listening to this, you're probably a partner professional. Just really getting into your role in orchestrating Nearbound within your company. And I think you do that better in this book than I've seen anywhere else. Well, uh, going back to another first principle, um, you know, what is culture inside of a company? Like, it, it, it's crazy. Um you go ask any great entrepreneur who's started, sold, took, take, taken public, you know, more than one, right? So it wasn't just lucky. It's like, okay, they have some answers to the test. Mm-hmm. More often than not, if it's not the first thing, it's one of the top three. That what is the most important thing in your business? And they'll say culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Is a mm-hmm. famous mm-hmm. quote. Um, I, I, I disagree with that a little bit, but the point is, is that really smart people tend to bring this word up. And what is your culture of partnerships or nearbound inside of your company as a partnerships leader, as a person? Mm. Oftentimes that culture is pretty shit. <laughs> I mean, it's a terrible culture. You, you've inculcated a culture where you are treated like the stepchild, like, you know, the odd man out, the last person picked at the football game, right? You're coming in with a reputation where people don't like you. They don't respect you. They don't trust you. And if you're not going to acknowledge that, I don't see you as a change agent, mm. right? So what is culture? Culture is what you promote and what you tolerate as a business. That is the definition of culture. And then the second component are the cadences and rituals that enforce them, 
okay, so your business has a culture, whether or not you acknowledge it, what you promote, what you tolerate. And then what is your business's cadences and rituals? So the way that I approached the rhythm of the business in Nearbound was how do you overlay Nearbound into what your company promotes, what your company tolerates, mm. And then the cadences and rituals of each department. What do they do every year? There's a kickoff every year. There's yep. QBRs every quarter, right? There's monthly meetings for this. There's week. So it's actually very tactical, very relatable on how to build that nearbound overlay into every department and not build a monolith because that was the difference between, you know, the SaaS native world and then let's say the IT channel driven world or the infrastructure world with physical products is that you had independent distribution on one side and then direct distribution on the other. So you'd build in indirect or in channel, you'd build what? Every function, right? It's That's why it's called a business unit. You had marketing, you had sales, yeah. you had you know support, you had this entire line of business that was siloed from this other side. Well, in the SaaS native world, you, didn't, you don't have that. So what do you do? Do you build another business unit hmm. and hire partner marketing and hire partner sales and hire partner success? Or do you overlay it? Well, how do you overlay it? Well, hmm. you got to build it inside of each department. And the, the rhythm of the business, the rhythm of Nearbound chapter, I think gives you the the North Star and your checklist. I mean, it's very, it's actually structured some chunks of it like a checklist on how to do that day in, day out and um, build a Nearbound culture the right way. I really wish for those who are watching on video that we had a physical copy of the book right now, but when oh, this is being recorded, it is not yet. It's almost off to the printer, not quite, <laughs> not quite but it will be two days from now. Fingers crossed, February 29th, noon Eastern time. Amazon, buy it. Join us. It goes oh, live on, on Amazon. I want, to say, I want to say something too. Isaac, how much money are we trying to make per copy? No, we're not trying to make anything. So like this is going to be sold what? At cost pretty much? Whatever well, the I cheap. Don't, I don't know. The pricing is, the pricing is will be, be as cheap as we can make it. Maybe. The pricing will be determined by what will maximize the influence of the book. So there is an argument against making it as cheap as you can make it because if People see a business book that's $5. They may think, oh, that's like some sort of whatever, lead gen tool or something. They see a book that's $29. They say, oh, that's a that's a legit book. There is a psychological component. Okay. I haven't decided. Well, we haven't figured out pricing I haven't decided yet. the pricing yet. But well, we're not trying line, to make money. Bottom line, we're not trying to make any money on the book. There's no, there's no uh, plans for that or focus on that. It's truly just about how can we get this message to the, to the, the highest number of people and the people who have influence to actually make that change so that you partner people when you are sitting there in your company and you're like, I don't have executive buy-in. We're hoping that this moves the needle in a big way for bringing that executive buy-in. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited. I, I truly think it's going to be the biggest book. I mean, in partnerships history, and that's up to all y'all. Um, and honored to have been building this alongside the industry and the market for the past couple of years. Um, it marks a big moment. There's, I'll put it this way. There's never been something that you can take and put in front of your CEO and be proud to put it in front of them. I truly don't think so. I, I have not seen that work or that magnum opus. Um, not only do I want you to take this to your CEO, I want you to feel proud like, okay, a lot of heart, effort, and energy went into this book. And this is the thing that I need to take to my CEO. This is a book that should be for every department leader at your company, every entrepreneur. Um, and I want it to be the defining book of go-to-market SaaS and B2B of this decade. And I think it, I think it lives up to that hype. Um, we have some incredible people that are backing it. It's been a ton of hard work and challenge, and we're not even anywhere near where the vision of where Nearbound is going to go reveal a, us as a company, you know, uh, this movement to build a world where everyone can win together. But this is one of those milestones that I think we're all going to look back on and go, 
that was big. That was really, really big. Nearbound and the rise of the who economy. Let's go. Out February 29th, available on Amazon. Check it out at nearbound.com. Join us in Paris for the live launch event virtually uh, from around the world. We'll have, you know, a hundred, couple hundred people of us there live from Paris. Um, I'm honored and humbled. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the show for 153 episodes, roughly. Um, And get out there, get the book, and uh, go build a world where everyone can win together. Nearbound, we'll see you around next time. Oh, 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 shoot. I, we I cut it. Done. No, that was, I got to do my outro. Okay, we got to keep this. I, I got to do my outro. I yeah. already turned away. No, you me. turned away. No, no. Okay. So, all right, Nearbound, we'll see you around. Until next time on the Nearbound Podcast. <laughs>